to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our annual summer series at the movies, where we explore the spiritual truths behind some of Hollywood's biggest hits. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. What's up, Liquid Church? It's Pastor Kyra. I'm excited to be here with you today. In fact, can you help me welcome all of our locations and church online? If you're here, you made it to At The Movies Part 4. And today I'm excited because I get to talk to you about American Underdog. You guys know what an underdog is, right? It's someone whose like chances of winning or succeeding at something are pretty slim. And I don't know about you, but I love a good underdog story. Maybe because there's been plenty of times in my own life where I felt like an underdog. You know, throughout my career, both, you know, as a lawyer and even now as a pastor, I've sat at tables and I've been in rooms where I've been the only woman in a sea of men who are all six feet. Now, ladies, I realize I may have just described your ideal fantasy, okay? (laughs) But in all seriousness, it wasn't always fun and games for me. Now, I have a son who has Down syndrome, so advocating for him is my full-time job. And I'm a 5'2 Latina. Do not let these heels fool you, okay? And you guys know English is my second language. So after a day at work where I spend my time leading people, leading meetings, crafting content, can I just tell you, I am English fatigued. By 5 o'clock, all I can do is pray that Tim's name is actually pronounced Tim and not Tim, like I would say in Espanol, all right? And that's why I loved the film American Underdog so much. Now, I'll be honest, when I first realized I would be teaching an American Underdog, I was like, wait a minute, how did the only female preacher get the football movie? Until I watched it and I realized, You know, it's actually a movie about so much more than football. It's a movie about relationships, first and foremost. Now, if you've never seen it, American Underdog tells the real-life story of NFL legend Kurt Warner and his wife, Brenda. Now, Kurt loved football, and his dream was to become an NFL player. But after years of going undrafted, he had no other choice than to take a job stocking shelves at a local supermarket. Now, he never stopped fighting for his dream, and he never stopped having faith. And in the process, we get to see his relationship with Brenda evolve. Now, Brenda, she's a divorced mama of two with some trust issues. Life has been hard for Brenda. And we get to see Kurt bond with her son, Zach, who is legally blind. And of course, throughout the movie, we see Kurt's relationship with the game of football intersect with his relationship with God and what it means to endure hardships in the pursuit of a dream. Now, I was inspired. When our family watched it, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to give up on my dreams. I'm not going to quit too early. But Before I give too much more away, Liquid Church, here is American Underdog. You wanted to see me, sir. Sit down, Kurt. Thank you, Coach. I prefer to stand. All right. Go ahead, then. Tell me. Tell you what. Why a team worth $800 million, one of the most complex offenses ever built, should put you in the driver's seat. 
too old to be a rookie, too green to be a pro. So why in the world would I give you this shot? All my life, I've defined myself through sports. I've always come up empty. Coach, I can win for you. You need to start thinking about life after football, son. We gave you the chance. We're letting you go. I was meant for something. Something more. You think you could be that guy? Yeah, I do. What are you doing here? I wasn't ready for it. But I am now. You died all odds. I've waited for it. I've bled for it. I know who I am. And I know why I'm here. If you give me a chance. Green went down hard and is not getting up. I will not let you down. Special about you, son. Destiny belongs to the underdogs. You want to prove that? Now, a quick show of hands, or if you're online, type it in the chat. How many of you have actually watched this movie? Because if you haven't watched it yet, I highly recommend it, and here's why. I can't think of any American right now that cannot relate to this movie. Because every single one of us, we know what it's like to have a dream, to have a goal, a vision for your life. And yet, we also know what it feels like when these dreams have yet to be realized. Now, for some of you, it may be a dream to discover your true calling in life. You know, you're listening to this message, having graduated from school maybe two or three years ago, and all you've had are a string of dead-end jobs, but nothing in your field, and it's not because of your lack of trying. Or maybe you dream of becoming debt-free so that you can travel the world, but man, money's always tight. There's always something coming up that requires you to use any extra money for that, and you've been unable to take a long-awaited trip. Guys, no matter what your long-awaited dream is, if you are watching this message, sitting in your, wherever you're watching, with longings in your heart that have not been fulfilled, life has labeled you an underdog. You have a dream. You've done everything you can to make it a reality, but your chances of success so far haven't been great. Now, Kurt Warner knew a thing or two about what unfulfilled dreams feel like. In fact, in this first scene, I want you to watch as Kurt spends time trying to make his dream a reality. He's working hard to get off the bench, play in college football, so that the NFL would actually notice him and draft him. Only, it's not as easy as it seems. Come on. Coach, come on. One, two, three. You and I. 
back on the bench for the same reason you sat on the bench for four years. What is your problem with me, Coach? I'm going to sum it up for you. Why you're such a tragedy? You don't stay in the pocket. What? You got the talent, loads of it, but when things get hard, you bail. You run from adversity. You don't trust your team or my playbook. You don't deserve to play in the game. Coach, 10 more games and my dream is gone. I've been working my whole life for this, please. You need to start thinking about life after football, son. Respectfully, you are wrong, coach. I'm not gonna quit, because that's not what leaders do. I just need to know how to get on that field. Blue 80, hut! <laughs> cannot leave the pocket. You want your shot? You take the pain. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't you fumble my football. You hold on to my football. Again. Again. I said again. How many more times are we going to do this, coach? Eight times as I say. Who else wants to kill Kurt? I do. I'm not your own offense. Y'all switch for this, though, baby. Somebody give me a purple jersey. Come on. You want to talk to me? I'm just wondering why God would give me a dream that's probably never going to come true, because I just feel like that's cruel, you know? I wonder why God would give me a dream that's never going to come true. Because that's just cruel, you know? Have you guys ever felt that way? Where you feel you have all of the talent, definitely all of the desire, but obstacle after obstacle, they're just standing in your way? Well, today I want to talk to you about one of the biggest underdogs in the Old Testament, a woman named Rahab. You know, I figured there's enough testosterone in football. We could balance it out with some nice estrogen. So I actually chose a female underdog for our passage today. Now, if you don't know the story of Rahab, I got to warn you, okay? This is a pretty sassy story. Uh, you know, parents just giving you a heads up here. Rahab's story is kind of PG-13. And if you're new to Christianity, I think you may assume, you know, the Bible is full of perfect people, super holy men and women, but it's actually not. It's the opposite. It's full of deeply flawed, deeply uh, people who are just liars, cheaters, masters, manipulator, and people who try to obey God, but they all fall short like we all do. And Rahab is one of those women. Now, she has a bit of a scandalous story, but we have a lot to learn from her. Now, we're about to step into her story mid-story. So let me orient you right now. Joshua is the leader of the Israelites. The Israelites are God's chosen people. And as the book of Joshua opens, the Israelites, they're about to enter the promised land after wandering in the desert for 40 years. They're finally ready to cross the Jordan and conquer Canaan. There's only one little problem. Canaan is full of the enemies of God. And the first obstacle that they have to face is they need to conquer the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho is a godless place much like Barrio Golpe Avisa, very dark, wicked culture. 
people were sworn enemies of God and of Israel. So Joshua, smart man that he is, he sends spies into the city to assess its strength before he attacks them with Israel's army. And that's where Rahab comes in. So let's all dive in and read together from Joshua 2. Here we go, church. Then Joshua secretly sent two spies to go look over the land. He said, especially Jericho. So they went, meaning the spies, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, as you can probably gather, Rahab's name is notorious. In fact, Rahab in Hebrew, wait for it, is translated as broad. I promise, I am not making this up, okay? Her name is linked to the oldest profession in the books. And church, there's no way to sugarcoat this. The Bible doesn't lie. Rahab was a prostitute. Her job was to sell sex. Now, she's the kind of people most people would view as worthless, morally corrupt, okay? She had a loose lifestyle and a shady reputation. Rahab was someone you definitely didn't want to live next to, and you did not want your kids to grow up around her. Now, there's no doubt that Rahab was an underdog from day one. I mean, think about it, church. She had little to no chance of winning in life. You got to understand, in first century culture, prostitutes were shunned, okay? Attitudes towards sex workers, they were full with cultural tensions. Some prostitutes were often slaves, some were former slaves, and all of them were at the bottom of the food chain. So Rahab is a woman with her back to the wall and living on the edge of society. Now, before you judge Rahab too harshly for being a prostitute, I want you to think about it. Why would a woman willingly sell her body for sex? The answer is because she had a family that she needed to support. She had no husband. We don't know if he had died or killed in battle or maybe deserted her, but Rahab is just a woman trying to survive, save her family in the process. So she may have turned to prostitution as a last resort to feed her people, make ends meet, and save her family in the process. And so she's going about her day when suddenly there's a problem. Look at verse 2. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come up here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Now, remember, Rahab is just a woman who's trying to ensure her family's well-fed and safe. That is her dream. And all of a sudden, she's faced with a choice. Does she tell the truth and give up the men? Or does she lie to the king and side with the Israelites? What's a girl to do? Rahab's got her back against the wall. And can I just tell you, isn't that how life works at times for underdogs? Listen to me, at some point, every underdog will come to a crossroad. Life will throw you an obstacle. Some are big and some are small, but all of them cause friction and all of them bring tension and they all require you to make a choice in order to get through them. Now, this was true for Rahab and guess what? It was true for Kurt Warner as well. You see, after graduating college without being drafted by the NFL, 
Kurt meets Brenda. They start to date and they decide we're going to make a go of it, but we're not going to quit the pursuit of our dreams. Brenda's dream was to go to nursing school, but she was a single mom with two kids. And Kurt's dream is to play football for the NFL, but he had no job and no NFL prospects. So their choice was, do we keep pursuing our dreams no matter how long it takes, or do we quit and give up? Watch what they chose. I got a job today. Yeah? Yeah. Stocking shelves at the Hy-Vee graveyard shaft. It's just for a little while. Until next season's tryouts. You know what they say, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do until you can do what you want to do, you know? We're learning how to insert an IV. I'll be home by 7. Date night? No, my ship starts at 6.30. Oh. Sorry. Okay. You gotta do what you gotta do so that you can do what you wanna do. That was the choice that both Brenda and Kurt made. They had a dream, but while they waited for their dream to become a reality, they also needed to make hard choices. So as you saw from the clip, he started working the graveyard shift, stocking shelves at a supermarket, while Brenda went to nursing school during the day, but he never stopped training and he never stopped practicing football. I think Rahab was a woman who understood what it means to do what you gotta do so that you can do what you wanna do. Because when the king comes to her house and knocks on her door and orders her to bring out the men who have come into your house, Rahab does what she needs to do. Let's keep reading. Verse four says, Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Now I want you to imagine this scene with me, okay? The soldiers, they burst through her front door and they ask, where'd the men go? And Rahab says, I don't know. Well, where are they from? I don't know. But where'd they go? I don't know. But if you hurry, you can probably catch them. <laughs> Guys, what would you have done if you were Rahab at that moment? Like if you were faced with that choice, 
conspire against the king or protect the Jewish spies. Well, if you're Rahab, a pagan sinner, and you're living in a city and a culture wholly given over to immorality with no previous contact with the word of God, no knowledge, no sweet clue of the things of God, what do you do? You lie. What's your excuse, by the way? Now, the Bible neither praises nor excuses Rahab's lie. The Bible just tells us she lied. But in my humble opinion, I think Rahab did the right thing. Because you know what? Her lie saved the men's lives. And not just their lives. She saved her family's life too, which was her dream. Because if they were all discovered, the Jewish spies, they would have been slaughtered. And Rahab and her family, they would have been executed on the spot for conspiracy. But verse 6 actually tells us that she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. I don't know about you, but that seems like a little flimsy hiding spot to me. So Rahab is actually showing tremendous courage and bravery when she decided to risk her life for these men. And when I was reading this passage this week, I actually couldn't help but wonder why would a prostitute from Jericho risk her life for two Jewish spies that she didn't know? Well, the answer is in verse nine. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. Now, I just need to stop here because this is an incredible statement of faith. You have to understand Rahab is speaking of the future as if it's already a done deal. And you know what the Bible calls that? Faith. How do I know? Because here's the definition of biblical faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Guys, Rahab is speaking boldly on things that I have not seen yet. I mean, Jericho still isn't in the hands of the Israelites, yet somehow she knows it's a done deal. How does she know this? Well, let's keep reading. We're all afraid of you, meaning the people in Jericho. Everyone in this land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. Now listen closely as Rahab actually finishes what she's saying by making an incredible declaration of faith. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Church, in a moment of extreme clarity and extreme faith, Rahab is able to recognize something that a lot of people do not, that the God of the Bible is no ordinary God, that the God of the Bible is an all-powerful, almighty, miracle-working, promise-keeping, sin-forgiving God. I mean, this is an amazing confession. A pagan prostitute is willing to risk everything for a God she barely knew. How was she able to do this? It's because life labels you an underdog but faith crowns you a champion. 
She was a woman used to living on the edge of society. She was a woman with her back against the wall too many times. She probably thought at this point in her life, she's seen it all. But you know what she hadn't seen? She'd never seen, she'd never encountered the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and Moses and Joshua. And even though life had labeled her an underdog, she knew enough to put her faith in God. And it was that faith that gave her the courage that she needed to stand up for God. Life labels you an underdog, but faith crowns you a champion. Guys, it is only through faith that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit himself to take risks in the pursuit of our dreams, to withstand adversity when obstacles come, to champion our way through hardship. And that's what Kurt Warner discovered. You see, in his journey to becoming an NFL player, Kurt was introduced to the Christian faith by Brenda. Brenda was a woman, man, she'd been through a lot. First husband, a guy named Brad, he cheated on her when she was pregnant with their child. And then her son, Zach, became legally blind after her husband dropped him on the head and didn't tell anyone for 24 hours. But throughout all of those challenges, all of those obstacles, Brenda held on to her faith and to her relationship with God. I want you to watch as she shares her story with Kurt. Was Zach born blind? No, he wasn't. I got this call from Brad when Zach was four months old, he said, He's breathing funny. And I still remember the panic in his voice. And I rushed to hospital where we were told his brain was swelling and that he'd be lucky to make it through the night. And they had no idea what was wrong because Brad didn't tell us not for 24 hours that he accidentally dropped Zach on his head in the tub. Could have been different, you know, if he just told the truth. I remember praying and praying and begging God to just save my baby boy. So the doctor told me he'd never walk, and yet he'd never talk, and now I can't get him to stop. That he'd never be a black truck driver? He keeps finding a way to prove everyone wrong. He's, he's my miracle. That all seems pretty uh, important to you in your life, religion and God. Yeah, it's it's more like a relationship. I mean, yes, it defines me. Later on in the film, we see Kurt tell Brenda he wants her faith and he eventually becomes a Christian. Because guys, 
That is the message of American underdog, that an underdog story cannot be possible without faith. Again, biblical faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's having the confidence that things that are yet unseen will happen as God said that they will. So understand your faith in God, that's what's gonna help you rise above any hardships that you face and life will throw hardships your way. That is a guarantee made by Jesus Christ himself in the gospel of John. He said, here on earth, you will have many trials and many sorrows. So understand trials and hardships are part of every underdog story. Like maybe one day you're home and the phone rings and you pick up only to hear someone tell you that someone you love has been in a car accident. Or maybe you've been working for over a decade in an industry only to be let go without any kind of advance warning, completely pulling the rug from under you and your finances. Or maybe, like me, you give birth at the young age of 29, only to find out one day later that your beautiful and perfect baby boy has Down syndrome. And by the way, Andy's my miracle baby too. So how do you go on, church, when life gets hard, when dreams that you have and have had for a long time are not realized? How do you not give up on your dreams, on your life, on God, on the future? Can I tell you what the answer is? The answer is you do not give up if you have faith. It is by faith that we persevere. And it's not just any kind of faith, but enduring faith that trusts God no matter what, in all things, regardless of the circumstances. And that kind of faith, it is built over time. It's not instantaneous. It is day by day, experience by experience, sometimes even hour by hour. It's the kind of faith that's honest enough to admit to God when things are bad when you feel like giving up, when you don't have enough strength, but it's also enduring enough to allow you to also say, I'm gonna continue to go on. I will continue to trust in God because he is my hope. Amen, church. Can I tell you what 1 John says? The Bible says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Guys, faith always overcomes. It doesn't necessarily mean God will always or immediately intervene if we call on him because I'll just be transparent with you. God will allow his kids to go through hardships because he wants to change us on the inside first. God is in the business of developing our character. He's in the business of maturing us, of maturing our faith, of helping us develop an enduring faith so that we can only focus on him and we keep trusting his word. But no matter how much we wait to see our dreams realized, that's the enduring faith says, my hope continues to be in Jesus. That's what Rahab realized. Church, after years of living as a woman in the margins, as a prostitute, she gave her best yes to God. And you know what? Rahab's yes not only saved God's people, but it saved her own family as well. Remember her dream for her family? She wanted to save every person in it. Well, let's read verse 12 because here's what she says to the spies. She says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family 
since I have helped you. I want you to give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. Translation, I want my family to be saved. Can you imagine what kind of request that is? I mean, she could have asked for anything, right? She could have asked for money, land, but she only cared about her family, her mama, her dad, her brothers, her sisters, and her request is rewarded because in verse 14, the spies tell her, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and we'll be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. And then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Letting men down by a rope through a window. I'm pretty sure this wasn't the first time Rahab had men climbing out of her window. You know what I'm saying, church? But uh, through that rope down her window, the spies escaped and they were saved. And because of Rahab's bold actions, her family was saved too. Remember, life labels you an underdog, but faith crowns you a champion. And the same thing was true for Kurt Warner. He spent years in anonymity, stocking shelves at a local supermarket, continuing to train, but having a real hard time getting any kind of agents or any NFL teams to notice him. But he's desperate to keep his dreams alive. So you know what he does? He goes into arena football of all things. Now, arena football, it features smaller fields than the NFL, and it has walls instead of out-of-bound lines. And it was, in Warner's own words, like a circus. I mean, they played in a barn, so I can't blame him for saying that. I'm sure that there were moments where Kurt Warner had to have thought to himself, how in the world is this ever going to translate to me playing in the NFL? But you know what? Wildly enough, it did translate to him playing in the NFL. You see, Kurt was so good in his three seasons playing arena football that, according to legend, an opposing coach asked the LA Rams to give Warner a tryout just to get him out of the arena football league. And you know what the LA Rams did? They invited him to try out. It wasn't easy. Not all of the coaches loved Kurt in the beginning, but his leadership his character, his resilience, all forged after years of persevering and enduring faith. It made everyone in the Rams sit up and pay attention. I want you to watch as the coach of the LA Rams invites Warner to officially join the NFL. <clears throat> you wanted to see me, sir. Oh, yes. How long for you in the wilderness, son? <laughs> How long out of college? Right, well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's been a few years. Uh, but, sir, that doesn't mean that I don't know how 14. to play the game. For me. 14 years out of coaching. I burn out. Not embarrassed to say it. Took a year off, turned out to be a decade and a half. When I did come back, they said I was uh, retread, has been too old. 
game that passed me by, all that stuff, all that same stuff that they're gonna say about you. What they didn't know was all that experience that I had in those years made me who I am. Made me ready for this moment. Gave me something others didn't have. And I see that in you, Kurt. Destiny. It belongs to the underdogs. You want to prove that? Together? There's something special about you, son. And I'm really gonna enjoy finding out what that is. Welcome to the Rams. Come on! Come on! Come on! Oh my gosh! Oh, coach, thank you. Thank you for trusting me. I gotta go tell, I gotta tell my wife. I gotta tell my wife. This is the best decision you've ever made in your life. I promise you. I gotta go tell my wife. Destiny. It belongs to the underdogs. What a great line. Because after years of waiting on his dream, not really sure if it was ever gonna become a reality, Kurt Warner was signed on to the St. Louis Rams as a backup. And in 1999, the Rams starter, Trent Green, he tore his ACL in the preseason and he left Warner in charge of one of the most loaded offenses football had ever seen, nicknamed the greatest show on turf. Now the Rams put him in, a, put him in as starting quarterback and in a move no one could have ever seen coming or much less predicted, Kurt Warner led them to a Super Bowl championship. He collected NFL and Super Bowl MVP honors along the way. Later on, he'd go to win another NFL MVP and he led the Rams to another Super Bowl. And in 2017, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Church, he went from a grocery shelf stalker to a football Hall of Famer. And as for Rahab, her red rope, that she used to help the men climb out of the window, that red rope, it leads us straight into the story of salvation. You see, after Israel invaded Jericho, a Jewish prince married Rahab. He made her an honest woman. And they had a son named Boaz, who married Ruth, another woman who has a book in the Bible. And Ruth, she had a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse. Any Bible trivia nerds know where this is going? And Jesse had a son named David, which means Rahab became the great grandmother of King David, the greatest king of the Old Testament. She went from a woman of the night to a woman of royalty, the prostitute who became a princess. Bet you didn't see that one coming, church. And do you know where Rahab's name first appears in the New Testament. Ah, on the very first page of the very first book in Matthew chapter one as part of the genealogy of Jesus. Verse five says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was who, church? Rahab. 
Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. So I want you to understand, do not miss this. Rahab became the great, 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 great grandmother of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And just like Kurt Warner, she too became a Hall of Famer, baby. Only instead of touchdowns, she's honored for her bold faith. She made the Bible's Hall of Fame or Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, it has a list of all the all-stars, the mighty warriors, the courageous heroes from the Old Testament. And I want you to check it out, what Hebrews 11 says. It was by, what's the word, church? Faith, that who? Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab is one of two women mentioned in the Hebrews Hall of Fame. How's that for an underdog? Life labels you an underdog, but faith crowns you a champion. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I came here to tell you, you got to persevere through whatever hardship is standing in the way of your dreams. If you're working today at a dead-end job, you persevere. I promise you tomorrow you will work in your calling. If you're in debt today, but you persevere, you'll have financial freedom tomorrow. You'll get to go on your dream trip. Parents, if your dream is for your children and it looks slim today, but you persevere, you get on your knees, you pray for that boy, you pray for that girl, I want you to just watch what God's going to do in their lives. And as you keep on persevering, never stop praying, never stop believing, do not give up and keep giving your best to your dreams. Kurt Warner, stock shelves. Rahab was labeled a prostitute. And guess what? Both of them made it into the Hall of Fame. Life labels you an underdog, but faith crowns you a champion. Guys, where do you need enduring faith? Where is God calling you to persevere? No matter what obstacle you need to persevere through, here's what I want you to remember, because here's God's promise to you today. God will supernaturally impart you with the strength that you need to persevere. That's what the Bible reminds us. The Bible says, I can do what church? Everything through Christ who gives me what? Strength. Can we all say that together? I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Church, I want us all to receive the strength of Jesus today so that we can keep on persevering. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your promise in your word that promises to supernaturally impart us with strength and resilience to persevere. I thank you, Lord. To, for the ability to endure in your name. I pray a blessing over everyone under the sound of my voice. I pray you would strengthen them today, Jesus, to continue on, to continue to fight, to continue to persevere, to not give up, keep on praying, and keep our eyes fixed on you. We thank you for your love for us, and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.